Let them take you back to the golden era. Ladies and gentlemen, do not adjust your ears. Welcome to the Golden Era Podcast. I'm Chris Riddle, and ladies and gentlemen, I can't seem to get rid of him over the next or the last six years. <laughs> Welcome, Jake Smith. Hey, I don't know you. <laughs> Jake Smith. I want this. Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, no, new last name. Wanted something that's easy to spell so people stop messing it up. But yeah, no, Jake Smith here, and happy to be back with my partner in crime, uh, the Nicole to my China. So good to see you, Chris. <laughs> so good to hear your voice. So good. So good. Almost it, we just finished the WrestleMania reading challenge season as well. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new partner in crime. Shout out to our old friend Erin. She's working on some different projects that we're very excited for. But we're being joined by the one and only, the Southern Sweetheart, Chastity Taylor. Woohoo! I'm so excited to be with you guys. I feel like it has been a long time coming that we three beauties and brains come together on a project. Oh so I'm pumped. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm actually naming the show to that. Beauty and brains. I'm so down. <laughs> Do we have a t-shirt that, oh yeah, Stephanie McMahon had one that said beauty brains bitch. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> brains, beauty, but no, and sometimes... Bitch! I actually had a conversation <laughs> at the last WrestleCade with Rachel Ellering about that, believe it or not. <laughs> we had a 10-minute conversation about a Stephanie McMahon t-shirt. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so if you are just joining us for the first time and have not heard about the concept of this show, it's going to be a little bit different than the projects we've done in the past. We are actually going to go back in time and look at what I consider to be the greatest era of women's wrestling or the most influential era of women's wrestling up until today, uh, we're going to talk about the golden era. Now, you may be asking what exactly we define the golden era as. And so the easiest way um, to define this, I thought, is going to be from the time Trish Stratus won her first championship at Survivor Series 2001, what we're talking about today. Versus the time she uh, retired in 2006. So you've got a good five years worth of shows for us to cover. <laughs> We've got this, y'all. So yeah. we'll be coming to you uh, once a month talking about a different period and time in women's wrestling. And today we kick it off talking about that beginning time. Um, I want to start off with a little bit of introduction. So we're looking at the end of 2001. Kind of tell me where you guys, Jake, we'll start with you, where you were in your wrestling fandom. Were you watching at the time? In 2001? Absolutely. So, I mean, as anyone who knows me knows, um, I'm literally obsessed with China. Uh, any and all things China. So, you know, that was, 2001 was about the end of her career. So a very dark time in my life. But I was still watching wrestling. Um, so, yeah, I was a fan for about like three years, I'd say, at that point. Jess, what about you? So I, my story is a little different. Um, I definitely grew up watching my old, like, 80s tapes. So I did not start watching the current product, you know, as it like live or whatever until like oh four um up until then it was very much i was still catching up on everything from um my dad's childhood so i have gone back and of course 
I haven't missed anything ever since then. I've definitely filled my gaps, but um, I was not an active fan. Um, but to be fair, I was also um, six years old. So I was six, I was in first grade, and it was a kind of one of those things where like, I didn't know if I still wanted to be a public wrestling fan or not. And I, it wasn't like I was ashamed of it yet. That come, came way later. later. But um, yeah, like I, I wasn't an active, like current product fan in 01. So I'm excited to go back in time and kind of relive this um, as an adult. It's kind of interesting with everything that happens in the women's evolution to go back in time and kind of look at how things were different back then. Um, so I was kind of in the prime of my wrestling fandom at the time. I had every single action figure known to man, none greater than the House of Pain Tori with one R. Oh my God, iconic figure. Cube <laughs> top. So um, I actually chopped her hair off when she cut her hair. <laughs> I told you. Uh, I had the Stephanie McMahon with slapping uh, action. Another <laughs> iconic. Which color shirt was that one? Was that the, I know there was the, the red and black. I think. Red. That's right. It was like the uh, sleeveless one, right? It had like the crazy hair. Yes. Yep. Yep. Oh. Yep. 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 So our story begins with China. Actually, this episode focuses around Tristratus, but to get to her, we have to talk about the ninth wonder of the world. To be honest, as anything in women's wrestling does, begins with China. <laughs> You're going to notice a theme here, ladies. And gentlemen. <laughs> I'm just also very hyped because we're recording this before WrestleMania. Are we still doing pretending we're live? I don't know. But uh, anyway, yeah, we're, pretending we're, live. <laughs> we're recording this before WrestleMania. And I obviously I'm going to high this week because my girl's going into the Hall of Fame. So sorry, bear with me. <laughs> so um, China actually leaves the WWF and in her wake at first, um, the women's championship, they never really officially acknowledge this on TV, but it ends up being vacated. So Jake, that means China is one of the few undefeated WWF women's champions in history. Mm-hmm. She, she is, you know, some might say a hall of famer with a record like that, l- leaving WWE <laughs> as a glistening peacock with the women's championship. So... We should point out that for those who have followed us for a long time, this is the first show Jake and I have done together since China is being inducted, or when you hear this, will have been inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. So um, most things he says in this episode is probably going to find a way to be wrapped back to China. I'll try to keep it to a minimum. I mean, if you guys follow me on social media, you're already going to see a lot of photos of me crying this weekend. (laughs) Like, I'll be like at like a pizzeria and someone will say China and I'll probably like hysterically cry. I'll actually just be talking about the country of China. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so lots of um, China love going around right now. So sorry. Actually, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Unapologetic. (laughs) I am who I am. I am who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Jake's going to throw me off focus. Chas is trying to keep me on focus, and Jake is just, like the last six years, is going to end up throwing me all over the place. (laughs) That's why our podcasts were always so long. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, Uh, uh, after China departs the WWF, you know, the Women's Championship kind of just falls by the wayside if not acknowledged on television and the only real storyline we see over the next couple months involving the women is the invasion so uh we get to see the appearances of stacy keebler future hall of famer and also now wwe hall of famer tori wilson 
Um, yes. so they come into the fold. They have a Braun Panties match with Trish Stratus and Lita at Invasion, the first ever tag team Braun Panties match, I should point out for the record. And wait, the, this podcast wouldn't be happening if what happened at Invasion almost did. Trish almost fell to her doom. Off the- <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about that? That is a less talked about moment. Trish almost falling off the stage at the end of it, their match at Invasion and Lita having to save her. That that should have been the catalyst for the Trish and Lita angle right there. I gasped and choked on like a Ritz cracker almost when that happened. I remember as a cherub. I was watching and then like, <gasps> and, like Trish almost fell in her brassiere off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so Trish actually becomes more active as an in-ring competitor and then she actually gets her, I want to say, I don't remember off the top of my head, I want to say it was a wrist injury or something like that. So she returns at WWF Rebellion as a special guest referee, and we start to see her um, become more active. And this is around the time that we actually see the debut of the Stratus Faction, which is actually one of my all-time favorite in-ring finishers. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that move. It's a good one. It's a really good one. I, I love that she took a move that, you know, she was doing the bulldog a lot at that time um, and, like, put her own spin on it, you know? Because, like, the bulldog itself is, like, not, like, a super impressive move. But she turned it into something that I think really made her look, you know, more legitimate as a wrestler. Jess, you're an in-ring competitor. How difficult is former. that? to t- former. For, former in-ring competitor. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What was your question? You know, you know, I don't like to use the term retirements because <laughs> you know, I, like like your favorite word to throw around is I'm retired. <laughs> I was waiting to see if somebody called out to that. I purposely Lord said that just so I could say the word retirement and you could call me out on it. Yes. Anyways, you were talking about the satisfaction. As, as a former in-ring competitor, how difficult is it to kind of take a move like that and modify it and kind of turn it into your own? There's got to be a lot of thought that goes into something like that. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, like, um, I think it was Jake just said, like, the bulldog itself is not necessarily, like, a very impressive or detrimental move. But anytime you're doing anything springboarding off the ropes like that, I mean, that takes not only a lot of agility on your behalf, but, like, you think about the trust you're putting in your opponent, you know? Like, very much the team effort of making sure that you both are are stable as, you know, in this case, like, Trisha's, both of her feet are off the ground. So, I mean, like, springboarding off of that in any aspect is petrifying because again you're putting all of your your trust and your weight and everything into your opponent and um I guess I think it's crazy to think about how the women in this era they don't really get the credit for being um athletes I think a lot of times this this era whereas we're referring to it as the golden era they're you know you think about the bra and panty matches you think about the the Halloween specials and stuff but these girls were still scratched they're scratching and clawing their way to the top and Trish being the innovator that she is, I mean, this move, something as simple as the bulldog that she turned into her own, um, I think that speaks for itself for that entire division of women. Like, they they did exactly what they needed to do to make ends meet and to get where they needed to be. And I, I just think if they don't get the credit they deserve at all. It really is a good example of taking, even talking about a move, taking something that's really not that big and turning it into something spectacular. And I feel like that's a lot of what the girls in this era kind of are known for is taking those little moments and then turning them into something major. Um, I was going to say to that point, Chastity, you brought up a really good point. Not only is it impressive for a springboard like that, especially for somebody like Trish, who at the time did not have that much in-ring experience either. Right. Absolutely. 
So let's see here. Um, around this time as well, Molly Holly kind of goes <laughs> under an interesting transformation, oh, becoming yeah. Mighty Molly and turning heel with the hurricane. I don't know about you guys. I loved to see a different side of Molly like this. I really I did too. Great. I think Molly, we talked a second ago about turning something that maybe isn't that great <laughs> into something great. Molly in particular was fantastic about getting handed stuff that really was a pile of crap sometimes, quite frankly, and making the most out of it. I agree. Do you like thinking about a lot of the feuds like Molly's had, like it was kind of, it almost seemed like someone in the back just really didn't like her, which is like hard <laughs> to see. Cause like the vibe I've always gotten from Molly is like, Oh, I love everyone. You know, like super nice. Let me see what I can do for you. I mean, that's just the vibe I've always got. She's not even on social media. Like, so probably, uh, probably cause she's too normal of a human being too, for the wrestling yeah. business. To be she's probably like at the soup kitchen, giving out meals or something like being a good person. unlike the rest of us. But so <laughs> anyway, like, you know, she had to make out with Spike Dudley. She had to, you know... Oh, be... I forgot about that. Yeah, she had to be Hardcore Holly's cousin, you know, that's, like... That's difficult. Can you imagine Hardcore oh, Holly's cousin God. in real life? Oh, and pass on that. Um, You know, and then, like, you know, like, they give her this superhero gimmick. But you know what? Like you said, Chris, she really just nailed anything she was given. Um, I thought she was hilarious in the role you know, she really just like played it up over the top and I think just really owned it. And it was kind of, it was, she did such a good job. I feel like on her own, the character kind of just like morphed into a face. Um, you know, what her and Hurricane were doing at the time is like, was just so over the top and so goofy that the fans just kind of like started to catch on to it. So, and I'm glad it ended up turning her face because it, it would have been so, I don't think it would have been as successful as she had stayed a heel the whole time in that role. So I was a huge Hurricane Helms fan at the time. Still have always been. I had... Still currently, like, we all are. <laughs> right, exactly. So I loved these two together because, like like you said, Jake, it was so over the top. <laughs> it kind of wraps all the way back around. It's ridiculous, but it wraps all the way back around to being great. Yeah. Um, speaking of one of our favorites, Ivory Turns. <laughs> Uh, fun fact, Ivory, last women's championship reign, she lost to China at WrestleMania 7. <laughs> I think we should turn this into a drinking game. Every time Jake mentions China off, like, off the record, like, off topic, we're just going to keep a tally, and that's how many drinks he's going to have to take. I want to encourage alcohol poisoning on this show, so I don't think that's a good idea, my dear. <laughs> It's like, I'm, like, sipping my wine now, but it's, like, my Bell Radici bottle, so, like, I'm, like, easy, because, like, I'm, like, oh, So it's too expensive to down it. expensive to down it. I'm just gonna pull the cheap crap out soon, so. <laughs> Let me, everybody out there listening knows my thoughts on the Bella Twins. Obviously, I love them, but I've not even drank that wine just because I have to pay my rent on a monthly basis. Oh, yeah, honey, I will send you a bottle. I, I don't turn down booze. Chastity was at my last birthday party. She knows this. <laughs> it, it's actually, like, really good, and I'm not even just saying that because I'm obsessed with... Uh, oh, crap. I'm obsessed with the Bella Twins. <laughs> no, well... My Roomba just went on, courtesy of a one Celeste Bonin, um, and it's about to go off. I feel like Roomba, like, this is not the first time a Roomba has gone off during one of our podcasts together, if I remember correctly. I want to say, 
I something of yours. I don't know if it was it's an Alexa. Something. It's usually like oh, oh that that's gone off before. I didn't say it because it's like a minute away from me. Um, that the cat. Um, oh, Gerard Alexa calling me. <laughs> um, Doug. Um, like so, it's just like Doug's just actually in the corner of their house right now, giving Jake side eye. I need to. He's not home yet. He. I was like, take your time at the gym tonight, sweetie. Um, but um, yeah. The, the cat, Stacey Carter. <laughs> <laughs> we just got a message from our executive producer, Jose, that says, Cat, Stacey Carter. <laughs> can we just, like, take a quick shout-out? Like, so, like, Jose has, like, been with us, like, for a while now. And, like, you know, he has sat through some long-ass podcasts. And, like, like a 30-character rumble. Yeah. So, like, you know, like, just round of applause. Like, even if you're listening to this by yourself in your car, just start clapping for Jose. He's amazing, and we love him so much. So you're not driving. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't even care. So, like, <laughs> the other drivers, it's their responsibility, too, to look out for you. So, <laughs> I can. I'd like to point out that this whole thing is incorporated in my name, and I'd like nobody to die while listening to this for legal reasons. Blame it on the Bell Radici, so... <laughs> We're not ending up on the Bellas podcast. <laughs> so Humphrey kind of takes this role as the leader of the females of the Alliance, kind of true to life. She was working on Tough Enough and training some of these girls. I thought for Ivory coming back from Right to Censor and not really having anything to do, that this this kind of fit for her, actually. Mm-hmm. So. Um. It was, I, it, I, like you said, it was a very good fit. I remember, because she was off TV for a while, wasn't she? She was off TV from, like, right after, probably from around Backlash to SummerSlam. Yeah. So I think yeah. she had a couple rematches with China after she Actually, the and, and she this is not it. even an intentional bring-up. I think her last <laughs> match on TV was the match before Judgment Day, where she teamed with Molly against China and Ivory. No, 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 it was the handicap match with China versus Ivory and Molly. Which is very odd, by the way, because Mo- Molly was a baby face. Yeah, <laughs> that was... That was, like, worse than, like, what they did to a poor Alicia Fox. Like, you know, like, they're just like, okay, like, we literally don't know what to do with the two of you. So, like, you're a face heel tag team who, like, also have a history together. Like, they were working house shows together, like, that whole entire year. I saw them wrestle each other a few times. So, it was just, like, so confusing. So, honestly, the, the invasion really did bring in some new blood. It made sense to me because Tori and Stacey weren't, especially at the time, the greatest in-ring competitors in the world. So you kind of needed somebody representing WCW, ECW that was more known for their in-ring work. Kind of can be the workhorse. So, that, You mean they didn't want to bring in Medusa at the time? <laughs> um, no. Um, would have been interesting, though. I, I, I remember looking back at that. I have to say, like, sidebar... Um, there were a few people I was disappointed didn't make it in. Tigress, like, t- Tigress, Paisley, like you know, like so AC Jazz or AC Moore, whatever her name was. Fire, like so, Moore, Shay, Major Guns. Um, actually loved Major Guns, even though like looking back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, but oh, whoa, who's the one I really liked? Who was Macho Man's girl? Gorgeous George. Um. Or she might have been gone by then, because I know WCW did, like, a big purge, like, at one point. Um, yeah, actually, uh, they had let Tori go before they went out of business, believe it or not. Really? That's, uh-huh. oh, I hate them. Yeah, um, Stacy was still around, but they had actually cut Tori before their last episode. Oh. 
Yeah, no, like there, there were like a ton of people. I were Tori and Stacy the only WCW women they kept. Yep. Wow. So, future and current Hall of Famers, right there, folks. Wow. Yeah. No. So yeah. So they survived. They're the only women to survive the merger. So you know what? All you people bitching about Tori going into the Hall of Fame, you can shove it because that right there is like legendary status alone. <laughs> so I so, will fight at the Hall of Fame who boos her. So <laughs> Jake, she's already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. What are you talking about? Yeah, she's standing in the Hall of Fame, bitches. What are you going to do about it now? <laughs> We're also going to start drinking whenever Jake makes a Tori Wilson reference on the show. Tori, literally there is footage of me being the only person on my feet screaming and cheering when they announced her Hall of Fame induction at all. So you've got Ivory and Molly representing the Alliance, and we'll get to the other person representing the Alliance in a moment. You've got Trish representing the WWF. Lita, who's in the height of the Team Extreme era, representing the WWF. We're starting to see a little bit of tension between the Hardys, though, and Lita's kind of caught in the middle of that. You've got Jacqueline representing the WWF. But what I want to talk about is the Six Mystery entrant. Now, I don't know, Chas, you said you hadn't started watching full-time at the time, but, Jake, I don't know about you, I did not... I I was not really that familiar with ECW, so I didn't know that much about jazz. I was convinced this was going to be Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> really? Yes. I. You know what? I could a hundred percent see that being said. I think I thought it was going to be like Stacy or Tori. Um, just like oh, oh no, you know no, I lied. I remember who I thought it was going to be. I well. I thought it was going to be China, but (laughs) I was like, because this is before, like, think about it. Okay. Like this is before the internet. I was like, probably like 12. Yes. I'm the oldest person here. Um, and like, I was like, okay, the internet like wasn't a big thing then. Like I was getting my news from like wrestling magazines. I was getting that. Yeah. I was going to say, I was getting most of my news from like the monthly magazines. Like I was like, not like, you know, in the know, really knowing what was going on. Like I had no idea Triple H would become the man I hate the most in life. And um, (laughs) so, yeah. So like, I was just like, okay, well like, so China is like, she's returning maybe like, you know, they were working on her contract. Maybe she was injured, you know, like what's going on. And, you know, I, I was familiar with who jazz was only because of like an ECW video game, to be honest. Um, and like, I just like, I like had seen a few clips of her in ECW. Cause like, I, like I grew up close to Philadelphia. So, you know, we sort of watched it sometimes. My brothers were honestly more into it than I was because, because I didn't really care because there wasn't women really. Um, And I, you know, I knew who she was. I didn't know what she was capable of in the ring at the time. Um, So, you know, it was cool, but I instantly became a fan um, because she brought this like badass demeanor. It just kind of sucked having her debut and then like be off TV for two months. Yeah. That's what's weird to me is the fact that they chose to debut her representing the Alliance at the night that the Alliance goes out of business. Uh, I never understood that. Were you familiar with Jazz Chastity? No. So going back and watching this, um, so I, you know, I caught up this weekend so that I would be like, you know, familiar with everything like currently. But um, I remember going back and probably watching 
2001. Obviously, I used the network. So what year mm-hmm. did it come out? Did we just celebrate? 2014. Yeah. So this was around the time that I was working with Shine down in Florida. And so I was, I had seen jazz like kind of currently at the time. Like I, it was, it was cool for me to go back and watch 2001 episodes of Raw and these pay-per-views and see when her debut came and just like to see, like, first of all, she has not lost it whatsoever. I mean, no. 2014. Yeah, she is so crisp. She did not lose a step whatsoever. Looks, um, her physique, agility, the ability in the ring, absolutely. So it was really cool for me to go back and watch it um, kind of in the era that I was in in the business at the time um, to see some of these women as they departed, you know, the Federation and the entertainment and everything then um, coming to the, to the indies and seeing just, you know, that they were still representing that era that we so proudly are talking about now. We should point out that at the time we were recording this, Jazz is still competing as the NWA Women's Champion. So she's still out there. Amazing. You know, good for her. Like, you know, I think like any performer can really hope for is like having like a long career. And, you know, it's great to see like her still being so successful and like having not losing it either, you know, because like you you see guys like Kurt Angle out there and it's like, should we really be watching this? I'm concerned. (laughs) Like, Like, you know, kind of grit your teeth. while Yeah, you're like, like Kurt Angle's last match. I'm like, thank God. Um, Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, but she is just like, you know, she's still going. She she's incredible. Um, But yeah, no, it was just it was such a strange time for her to debut um and it just it i i think i would have preferred her debuting honestly with like some promo videos to really build up her character that she's like this badass um so people knew who she was because it it just looking back knowing who she is now it was upsetting to watch her come out to like basically no reaction and whatever that like crap music was they gave her at the time Debuting Jazz, who was kind of famous from ECW in Greensboro, North Carolina, is kind yeah. of odd. I, I agree. <laughs> if this was Philadelphia, like, she would have gotten, like, a massive pop. Like, the, the thing is, I'm glad, you know, they she ended up do, to become, like, a two-time women's champion and a well-known name and, like, not just an afterthought. Because um, she deserves a lot. And she she's a great competitor. And she came in fierce. She went right after Lita. Like, you know, okay, but, so like, that's... That's what I was going to say. That's what was really interesting to me was it was almost like they were trying to play up on some ECW history. We talked about watching it back this weekend. Chas brought it up. I did not remember that at all. See, that's what I was about to say. Like, again, six-year-old me was definitely not familiar with ECW whatsoever. I was forbidden to watch that. Um, (laughs) But, again, when the network came out and I went back – the first thing, this is my like guilty pleasure. The first thing I started with when the network came out was ECW. Right. Um, I was a freshman or sophomore in college, and I had still never experienced that Philadelphia crowd. You know, the ECW arena. Like I wanted to, I wanted to relive every second. So going back this weekend and watching it, um, I'd like to point out like Paul Heyman on commentary, which you know he's gifted on the microphone at any point in time. Anything he does to me is gold on the mic, but he made sure that fans like myself who may have not been familiar with jazz or may not have been familiar with ECW. He set that, he set the stage for me. Um, even this weekend going back and watching it, um, it was very much like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, these girls have history. If you, if this were a current product, I would want to be looking up now, like, well, when was Lita there? Like, what was her story there? Why, how did these two cross paths? So it was like, 
you know, giving giving Paul Hamet credit there, like he definitely set the stage and made you if you didn't know who Jazz was, you knew that you needed to know who she was. He made sure that you felt that she was a big competitor. Um, he made sure to put over the fact that she had wrestled the men. I mean, he just he really made you feel like this was a, a, a big star coming out and that we needed to be appreciative of her being there. So I thought that was a really like, you know, noteworthy point is that Paul Heyman made sure that we knew she was she was somebody to know. I think Paul is extremely underrated as a color commentator. Absolutely. Everyone kind of talks about him as a promoter and him as a manager. I'm sorry. I'd rather have Paul Heyman than Jerry Lawler any day of the week. You know, it's so funny because like I was going back to and like watching some stuff just to like refresh my memory for this podcast. And it was what the era we're talking about right now this month is the transition between like when Heyman was on commentary, then the night after Survivor Series, Jerry Lawler returned and it's just like night and day because like you weren't getting the gross comments you were getting Heyman like actually putting over the women as competitors which was like at the time you know not really happening and then like the next night on raw king's like oh yeah trish won a lot of like oh (laughs) she's celebrating a big way oh she's got a great lungs you know like that's actually a spot on like it's just like I, like I'm sorry dude like you know it, it, it's just like funny like watching him come back now and like you know I know he they had him on a panel or something maybe a it's year funny, ago he can't really get away with anything in 2019 yeah. he made a comment about Naya or something and Sasha no sold it and it was the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen it's just like yeah like dude like that time's over we're like we're not here for that anymore um and some of us were never here for it at all but uh you know it, it Heyman did such a good job of you know, promoting the women and making them stars at a time WWE wasn't really, you know, giving them the attention they deserved. It was nice to have someone on the commentary team at least fighting for them. So uh, let's get to the match itself. Trish Stratus defeats Ivory, Lita, Jacqueline, Molly Holly, and the surprise entrant Jazz to become the new WWF Women's Champion because China never lost it. Nope. And uh, what were your guys' thoughts on the match? Jake, we'll start with you. Um, you know, I loved it. You know, I love a spot when everyone hits their finishers. I know, like, people are always like, oh, so dumb, but I love it. I, those are my favorite spots, especially for the women's matches. Um, I used to do the Poison Ivory on, like, one of these, like, rolly backpacks I had, and, like, I broke it once I did it so hard. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I loved the match, you know. Honestly, I remember thinking about it. And it, it's just so funny, like, how my perception has changed now. Because anyone who knows me, I am a diehard for the Divas. I was, like, not obsessed with Trish winning at the time. Um, she won me over quickly. But uh, at first, I was just kind of like, oh, wow, I'm surprised they had Trish win, you know, when there's the likes of Lita in there. Um, you know, you've got Ivory in there. I, I also loved Ivory at the time. Um, so, you know, it just surprised me because, like, out of all the six women, Trish was, like, arguably, you know, the least skilled in ring-wise. I mean, she that definitely changed and she improved greatly. But now, looking back on it, it's nice to see that they took a chance on her. Um, her popularity was definitely there. And, you know, she is incredible and, you know, a treasure to the wrestling world. Um, <laughs> who dat? Um <laughs> So, but like, you know, like she really, you know, proved a lot of people who didn't think she could do it wrong. And the match itself was fantastic. 
um, the women, this was how you do, I feel like a multi-woman match. Um, you know, everyone looked like a star. Everyone had their moment. There was like some tension moment, like with Jacqueline and Lita and stuff, you know, like there, there was just a lot of really nice spots in there. And I, what I really loved too is the match was kind of promoted as like Alliance versus WWF, but it really wasn't. It was really every woman for themselves. So it, it, and it was just, the only match on the show that was like that. Too. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was that it was the only six pack challenge for the women's title up until like, I think WrestleMania 33 or 34, whatever it was a few years ago. Um, so, and I, I just, I, the idea of a six pack challenge, I, I love it. If it's done right, it can be amazing. And this is a great match and it really set the trend for Trisha's career in WWE. So uh, an incredible match. And backing off of Jake, so now tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I have it pulled up just to make sure. The match was less than five minutes long. It did not seem like it was. Yeah. I, from bell to bell, it was not that long. So I'm looking online here, and I've, I'm comparing two, but I've got um, two re- two reports. One says four minutes and 23 seconds. Another says 427. So you think six women. Um, anytime you have a six-pack challenge, it has the potential for disaster, even today. Oh, yeah. That is just an absolute chaos to put together um, to tell the story and to get what you need in. But like Jake said, the moment where every woman is hitting her finisher and it's just a very much like just the timing of everything was was as close to perfect as you could get. And this especially looking back at, at, you know, the the track record of women's matches leading up to this point. Um, And I think it's worth noting that this was one of those moments where, again, you look back and I don't see like the stink face. I don't see any kind of sexually explicit or, you know, implicative moves. I mean, this, these women were hard hitting DDTs, the twist of fates, the moon salts, the stratus. I mean, these were moves. Molly go round. Yes. Yeah. This is some, this is, this is the golden era where they don't get appreciated enough, but this match alone, it's, it sets the pace for the next five or six years of under, you said Paul Heyman was underappreciated on color commentary. These women were, still to this day not recognized for the efforts they put into this four mm-hmm. and a half minutes or less. And at no point did I feel like there was a lull. There was a, Oh God, you know, who did this or who did that? Like going back this weekend, I got to, I was thinking like this went by so fast, but at no point did I feel like they were rushing or that they were missing something. I mean, it was just, they told the story. Like you said, it was not Alliance versus WWF. It was every woman for themselves and they were all fighting because they wanted that championship. And I, it was great. I, I Like Jake said, I loved the finishes back to back to back. Um, I appreciated that they were hard hitting and it, just the story itself. I, I think it was great. What's so funny to me is it does not seem like it's only five minutes. It doesn't seem rushed. Absolutely. No, they, like Chastity said, they told a story. So like when, when I see people complaining, you know, like, um, like last year, like some people are like, Ivory, like what did she do to get in the Hall of Fame? And then like one year, like I even saw like people like, th- there's some real douchebags out there, like complaining about like Jacqueline being in the Hall of Fame and stuff. It's like, how can you not recognize what these women did? This is the time frame they were given. And if they were able to tell a story, inspire the next generation of women in a short period of time that they were given, put on an epic match. Like, you know, like, I'm sorry, like that's a hall of famer. That's someone with talent. That's someone who works their ass off. And that's what all six of these women did in that match. And you think the typical wrestling fan up until maybe five years ago, 
maybe we can say seven or eight, but I would say like within the last 10 years, it's just now started becoming a thing where women are Mm -hmm. vocal and proud and public about being wrestling fans. So in this era that we're, that we're highlighting on this podcast, you know, this was a predominantly male influenced crowd. It was, you think if I, if I had to guess, or if I had to pinpoint it, I would say that it was predominantly men between the ages of 20 and 45, um, and I could probably narrow that down even to a, a smaller time, like age frame too. But like these girls, like you said, given the time frame that they were given, given this, the storylines that they were given, they made it work. And they, the longevity that they, each, each woman in this match, each, all six of them had some point of their career where you're thinking like, God, what else could they possibly do to her? You guys said it about Molly. I mean, like what else could they possibly do to her? But I'll be danged if they didn't. And she made it work every single time lita every single time oh my gosh involved with whatever they gave her she made work um jazz is still going strong today on the indies because she's she evolves with the times trish stratus has come out of retirement like three times down the last couple of years because you know she's these are just these are natural born athletes natural born entertainers and um this match like you said one of you said this this set the pace for the next uh this this next era of women's wrestlers and not a single woman today can claim that they got into this business without citing a source for one of these six women i would go out on a limb to say and what's so funny if if you look at the next couple years and and we'll be looking at all of these women at one point or another the these are the core six in many ways that represent this era Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. So Trish Stratus is the new WWF women's champion. So fun fact, this is actually the first ever pay-per-view I was allowed to order. Really? Yes. Yeah. So um, sidebar, I got to tell Trish this last year and I was actually very sick at the time. A lot of people know that I have stage four kidney failure and Trish didn't know about it. And I told her and, uh, kind of got an opportunity to tell her how much she meant to me and show her I actually had a picture. And it was hard to see. It was a picture of a picture of me uh, laying on the ground watching this in in my house, watching this pay-per-view for the first time. And she got, you could see the goosebumps on her arms, which was pretty damn cool. Um, So Trish is the new WWF Women's Champion. They have this really cool, short, but really great match between these six women. The next night on Raw, we're stuck with Jerry Lawler again. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Trish actually defeats Lita. And the interesting thing about this is we start to see some tension arise between the Hardys and Lita. Now, the night before at Survivor Series, Trish Stratus, and I had completely forgotten about this. Trish Stratus is seen um, coming out of a locker room with Matt Hardy, basically. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys. I did not remember this. I remembered the the Hardys breaking up for a little bit, but I did not remember Trish being caught in this at all. Me, I think, you know, I feel like they wanted to include her more, and then they just went a different direction, because I don't remember that happening either. And then, like, they showed it, and I was like, oh, huh, huh. So, uh, to be honest, like, the whole, Trisha's first whole month as women's champion, yes. I think they were trying to, like, find who they were going to pair her against. Because she even had, like, a little thing with Stacey. She was feuding with Vince McMahon. It was, it was a lot going on. She had, a, she had an action-packed 
month. She had did more in a month than most people do in their whole reign as women's champion. So, <laughs> Seriously. So it's very weird, though, because it's almost like a stop and start with a whole bunch of different storylines. Like yeah. you had this one with Lita and the Hardys, and then that stopped, and she was taken out of that. And then, it, it, like we talked about earlier, it was kind of weird how Jazz was debuted and then taken off of TV when the alliance was dissolved. And then Trish um, is defeated by Jacqueline in a non-title match, and Jacqueline ends up becoming the number one contender to the Women's Championship. I don't know about you guys, but I always thought this was really kind of out of left field. It, I, it was, um, especially since, like, you know, Jacqueline was a face at the time. I think they just wanted to... What My takeaway from it, and after watching the match again, too, was... I think they just wanted to legitimize Trish Stratus as a performer more. Because even King was still saying on commentary, hmm, oh, oh, well, maybe Trish shouldn't do this wrestling thing, you know, like during her matches where she was like getting beat up and stuff. And it's just kind of like, all right, is this really the way to put over your women's champion? Right. So I think, you know, putting her against an opponent one-on-one as experienced as Jacqueline, because even during that match, they kept touting, you know, Jacqueline's career, how she's a veteran, how she's tough as nails, all true. Um, You know, having Trish Stratus beat her, who is still relatively inexperienced, really legitimizes Trish Stratus, I think. So we get to Vengeance, and Trish Stratus defeats Jacqueline to retain the WWF Women's Championship. You guys want to talk about Survivor Series being short. This was blinking, you miss it. I put this on to watch on the treadmill and I was like, well, I got like 15 more minutes. So like, <laughs> <laughs> Nope. I, um, Chas, we'll start with you. I know you got a chance to watch this. I, I don't know about this one to be completely honest with you. I, um, so my first, okay. I told you guys that I wasn't an active, like current product fan in 01, but I do recall vividly. I'm talking like one of my earliest memories of watching live wrestling, like weekly was, um, and you guys probably are going to be able to tell me the year because I know you both are like encyclopedias, <laughs> was when Jacqueline cut Sable's hair. 1998. Love you both. Me. <laughs> like, okay, so that was kind of my only, um, when I think back, that's what I think of with Jacqueline. So when I go back this weekend and I'm watching um, Vengeance, I'm sitting here thinking like, this is the same, like, straight OG that cut Sable hair, scared the absolute crap out of me at four years old. And now going back and watching that match, you're like, she was kind of a monster in my mind as as baby face or whatever. Like she was definitely this, this lady that I knew you didn't want to mess with. Like, you know, she was somebody and the showing between her and Trish, I agree. There was just like there to me, that match didn't have that natural um, chemistry or flow or just, there was, I agree. It was just one of those matches where I'm like, I, I mean, to me, that was not the, yes, Trish Stratus defeated her, but that would, that's not the, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I just, that's just, to me, that wouldn't have been the, the singles. Trish's upset. Uh, I didn't think that that was the, ma- that to me, that wouldn't be the match that I would go back and think like, oh, that was it. That's when Trish, you know, showed us that she was going to be a fighting champion. So I don't know. I could take it or leave it. I, in her defense, in both of their defense, I will say, and this kind of says a lot about the era at the time, you can't really do much in three minutes, to be three fair. Minutes. you know. Seriously. I, and it, well, it, when did I'm pretty sure it was literally three minutes. 
Well, that's yeah. what made me go back and look to see how long the Survivor Series match was because I was watching it this weekend. You know, Chris Riddle guy sends me sends us a list of like what we need to watch to get prepared because he is, you know, he's our boss babe here. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can, like Jake said, I can do this on the treadmill. I can do this while I'm vacuuming or whatever. But like, blink and it's over. And I got to thinking, like, dang, this one didn't seem. This one did seem rushed. It did seem kind of spotty and choppy. And I was like, this one wasn't much shorter than the Survivor Series match. What was the difference between the two? And maybe that's why I find this to be a not so defining. Like, I think it's a on paper, yes, Trish Stratus defeated Jacqueline in a singles match you know, to retain the championship. But to me, on paper, that's all we've got. On paper, it was the upset, but the match itself was kind of a like a dud for me. It's kind of weird because Jacqueline hadn't really done a ton the last couple months before that. It was just seemingly out of nowhere. Jacqueline just becomes the number one contender. Let's let's Jake, you mentioned that. Let me look at the record because I I could have swore this is my research. I think this was like the, when did she? I feel like honestly, I truly believe Jacqueline was like a last minute person they threw Trish against to try because on paper. It does look like a good matchup. So right. I was mistaken. Um, Jacqueline defeats Lita on a number of content. Oh well, then that's why Jacqueline like, so- defeats Lita on Heat a couple days after Survivor Series, and then they um, Trish defeats Jacqueline on house shows, and then uh, Jacqueline faces Trish at Vengeance. So it's kind of. I, it just seems like somebody they wanted to throw in with her to get some more experience. Well, I think I think it was also too. They just not that it was a ton of women, but they had to kayfabe pretend like they just fired all these other women. Right. So it was like slim pickings. Like the only because like Trish was wrestling Stacy for a few weeks in like pudding matches and or whatever it was, gravy bowl or whatever the hell it was, um, bra and panties matches and stuff like that. And to be honest call me an asshole or whatever, but I enjoyed those matches more than I enjoyed the Jacqueline and Trish well, match. Well, and because in a lot of those cases with Trish and Stacy, and even Stacy and Tori, they try, especially, we all remember that one, the mud match with Stacy and Trish. Yeah. Trish is flying off the stage. They always tried to do something to capture people's attention during it. And not necessarily in a sexual way, but some kind of spot or something where you'd actually go, Holy crap. Not everyone will agree, but I think Stacy and Trish had some good chemistry together. I know, like, that's an unpopular opinion because, like, at the time, neither were amazing wrestlers, but I thought their matches were fun to watch. Like, I loved to heal Stacey Keebler, Duchess of Dudleyville, holler. Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, she did a great job. And I thought they should have just done Trish versus Stacy at Vengeance. Um, but then they kind of just derailed that real quick because they had Trish team with The Rock. Um, Yes, we need to talk about that. Kind of the hidden gem in this is the fact that, uh, and and I texted Jake yesterday, hey, don't let me forget to bring this up. Oh, don't worry, I don't forget a thing. So (laughs) Trish Stratus, we kind of talked about Trish being involved in different situations here. Trish Stratus and The Rock defeat, I believe it was Kurt Angle and Mr. McMahon. And yes, Kurt Angle and Vince McMahon. It was the Bradley Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on December 3rd, 2001. Does someone have Russell Wikipedia open? No, he's got cagematch.net pulled up. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually six days before uh, before she defeats uh, Jacqueline, I should say. Wait, wait, they didn't even promote her match with Jacqueline, like, on that Raw? 
No, if I remember correctly, I believe it was announced like on Heat a week before. <laughs> oh my god, because you know I just watched that match too this week, and I can't recall them even mentioning Jacqueline's existence. <laughs> like. <laughs> So Trish does get a very big moment during this time, getting to uh, beat up Mr. McMahon on Raw. I remember as a child freaking out over this. Fun fact, I do not remember this. Did you know that The Rock and Trish Stratus actually challenged the Dudley Boys for the World Tag Team titles? I did, yes. I did not know this. So this is immediately after the pay-per-view. Uh they were kind of teasing a little something between The Rock and Trish here. Well, I, I, didn't they kiss once? They did, yeah. It was kind of something that was picked up and then dropped, but it's very interesting to think about kind of what would have happened if they actually yeah. were this long term. Well, so. I'll just tell you, in my Action Figure Federation, WAF, the Wrestling Action Figure Federation, right. they were the tag team champions because they did defeat the Dudley Boys. It was short-lived, though. They lost what, them. What, what just out of curiosity, what Trish figure was this? So it was the incredible, iconic, final count Trish. The which purple actually, Trish! Purple Trish, which actually, in the match she beat Mr. McMahon, is the outfit she was wearing. And <laughs> she, she has that beautiful whiplash hair head where the hair is flying to the side. And it looks like Lillian Garcia, mid-announcement, not Trish Stratus. Um, so I, I for the longest time people actually used it for a Lillian custom before she finally got an it, action. It's like, I honestly think they messed up and put a Lillian face on. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm <laughs> like... It's so bad that, like, it doesn't even... And I remember being so pissed because we didn't get a Trish till, like, 2002. Right. And, you know, I was like, finally, a Trish Stratus. And it was, like, a final count, which, personally, I know some people love them. I thought they were the worst figures. Um, so for those who don't know, finishing moves slash final count were the series of action figures where, basically, the figure would be, like, the person was in mid-move. So instead of, like, this real polished look, they would have their hair up like they were in mid-action yeah. and their faces would be odd. It was really... And the packaging would be delivering the move. It was kind of an interesting concept, but the the actual execution of it was not that great. Yeah, it, it, it could have been, like, they're Triple H with, like, troll doll hair. We like, need to have an action figure corner on this we, show. Oh, we really do. <laughs> I could go on for hours. You're listening to the Major Brothers Wrestling Figure Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, so, but anyway, so, but, like, Trish wore that, like, purple outfit. Um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah, they were tag champs in my toys. But anyway. But, <laughs> um, um, yeah. segment where... Vince had to end up kissing Rikishi's backside and they teased it was going to be Trish. And then Trish, like that was Trish getting her big revenge on Vince for everything was yeah. pitting him and then forcing him to kiss Rikishi's backside. And I just loved this as a child, Mr. McMahon getting his comeuppance from Trish finally, because they had the slap at WrestleMania, but there was never really any payoff besides that one slap. Well, it was just, well, it was the slap, but then, like, the next night on Raw, maybe it wasn't the next night, but, like, I know he, like, didn't he, like, put her in, like, a match, he put her in the match against China, they didn't really, like, show him, like, put her in, but, like, the commentators mentioned, like, oh, well, Trish forced to be in this match with China on, um, sorry, another China reference, but <laughs> on the night that, uh, Lita challenged her, um, Trish was, like, forced to be in that match against China, so, like, it was still, like, she got her revenge at Mania, but still, she was, like, was still kind of that lingering yeah. line there. Yeah, so, like, I agree, Chris. Like, this was really, like, her major event. And it was a good segment, too. You know, like, I had, I thought it was a fun one to watch. And, like, I didn't really pay attention to the men stuff. And 
you know, it, it was a nice one. So, uh, Trish Stratus is the WWF Women's Champion, ladies and gentlemen. She has her comeuppance on Mr. McMahon. Chas, I'll start with you. What's kind of your overall thoughts on what we've seen so far in the era that we're talking about? Well, even just from talking, like, tonight with you guys, it seems to me like someone, like, you guys said, made the comment earlier that obviously someone backstage had to have something out for, for Molly. Um, yeah. Someone backstage, like, just when you look at Trish, you think, sex symbol like she is just the like epitome of beauty and she's got this perfect build or whatever and like they just wanted her to be this sex symbol um and i don't think that they really thought i mean obviously somebody had to have seen something in her because once she started wrestling it's like every single match got better and better and better but like Mm -hmm. every storyline she seemed to be thrown into whether it be for one random encounter walking out of the locker room with matt hardy or, you know, several, several weeks and months of being, like, in a relationship affair with Vince. Like, they portrayed her to be this sex symbol. And she just happened to also be talented in the ring. And I, I would love to, like, I'm really going to have to focus in on this now. I want to find the moment where Trish Trish's athletic ability became what you what you saw her as. And then her beauty and sex appeal was just an added bonus because I definitely think obviously she and girls like Stacy and Tori got their start because they were blonde hair, blue eyed, big boobed, whatever. Like mm-hmm. these, they were just the sex symbols. So I'm interested in as we, as this podcast progresses to see the moment where we stop seeing Trish in storylines that solely revolved around the fact that she was some kind of sex symbol. Now, as I say that one of my like first memories as a live fan was watching Trish and Mickey so, like, <laughs> she was still involved in the, her, like, sexual escapades and storylines. But um, I would love to see the moment where we stopped defining her as some, you know, floozy in the locker room, honestly. Yeah, you know, like like Chastity said, like, you know, Trish really, unfortunately, did have that working against her. But the thing is, I think she really just owned it, you know, and used it to her advantage, Um to make herself look like more of a competitor, you know, like I think as women's champion, I can remember her like being in bikini contests and stuff like, and during this time she was still in a lot of those risque matches, but quickly I feel like that transition happened. I feel like even next episode, we'll talk about seeing her more seriously as a competitor. I know that's around the time I really did. Um, Because like I alluded to earlier in this podcast, I kind of was surprised they put the title on her at first because I still did see her as kind of, you know, like that, like just model looking woman. I mean, like granted, like a few years later, I would have been like all for that. I would have been like, yeah, put the title on Crystal Marshall, you know, like, 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 I could see it you're feeling me. But like, um, at the, but like at the time, you know, I was just kind of surprised because I was like, huh, there's like all these wrestlers, but, um, she's a quick learner. And that's one thing I can say about Trish, even before she was a wrestler, um, you could tell in her first appearance in WWE, she was kind of like, Ooh, you know, like, I'm just going to stand here. She looked good. But like literally the next night on raw, you saw that snap. You could hear a little shake in her voice a little bit, you know, like kind of like boys settle down. Um, and then, you know, with the next week owning the shit out of it, doing like promos, like on the table within a month, you know, really just like owning, she's a quick learner and she catches on quick. And I think that's the thing about Trish. She's a perfectionist. Um, 
So she puts in 110%. So for me anyway, that transition to seeing her as a legitimate competitor from a model type performer happened quickly. So I, you know, I, it's going back and rewatching this is, a lot of fun, honestly, because like, you know, like we we've all grown into different people than we were when we watched this like almost 20 years ago now. Um, and I think we look at matches differently than we did absolutely. when we were kids as well. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I too am excited to go back because in my head, I can remember that being the time I started seeing her as a legitimate performer. But I'm excited to go back now and like be like, huh, is that the time? Hmm. We shall see. Right. I agree. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for this episode. But coming up on the next episode, Jazz Stinger. Jazz returns. Jazz! Jazz! Jazz challenges Trish for the Women's Championship at the Royal Rumble as we enter the year 2002. And Jacqueline randomly becomes a referee. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to us on Squared Circle Sirens, iTunes, wherever you may be streaming us. You can follow us on Twitter at GoldenEra underscore pod, and you can also uh, catch all of our individual social medias on there as well. Folks, for Jake and for Chastity Taylor, thanks so much for joining us here on the first episode of the Golden Era Podcast, and we'll catch you next month as we continue to go through the timeline. Catch you guys later. Congratulations, Trina. Bye. (laughs)